Hi, I'm Rob, the writer and producer of the High Desert Podcast and strategic outreach coordinator at the Santa Fe Animal Shelter. Can I ask you a favor? Share this with everyone you know. Unlike most podcasts, this one supports so much more than just this program itself. We want to use it as a way of increasing awareness and raising funds for our organization, a 501c3 nonprofit and the only animal shelter in Santa Fe. We do not receive public funding and rely on help from donors to save the nearly 15,000 animals that we serve every year. Please consider donating, or short of that, telling people about this project. With enough listeners, we can get the High Desert Podcast sponsored. That way you can save lives just by listening. If you have questions or an idea for a story, please do not hesitate to contact us directly at p-a-w-e-d-c-a-s-t at sfhumanesociety.org. That's podcast at sfhumanesociety.org. Please enjoy the show. Okay, uh, we have Jelly. She is um, shy and reactive towards men, strangers, and to some degree dogs, but it's not that bad. All right, well, Buster, he's very jumpy mouthy. Um, he is very, very reactive. Um, he's got a lot of energy. One of my personal favorites is Yuri. She is a little chihuahua. She came to the shelter and she was really. And she was really shy. Um, she was really afraid of new people and strangers. She's really blossomed and come out of her shell. So Sophie's deal, she's, she could be kind of like shy, I guess, in some ways. And she just likes to stall up a lot when you're taking her to uh, different yards and stuff. But she's just amazingly freaking cute to me. Those are some of our behavior team members. They are describing just some of the cases at Roddy's Rehab Center, the Santa Fe Animal Shelter's on-site behavior rehabilitation facility. This isn't a compilation of quotes over many months, mind you. All the statements you just heard were recorded in a single afternoon and are about animals that the behavior team is currently working with. Some shelters have fixed periods of time by which their animals have to be adopted or rehabilitated to avoid euthanasia. We do not believe in giving these homeless pets shelf lives. As long as a dog doesn't become dangerous, we will keep it indefinitely to work out its behavior problems. One dog, Lenny, a personal favorite, has been here 14 months at the moment of this podcast recording. The rehab center is named after Roddy Burdine, our board president and symbolic heart of the shelter. It sits on a low hilltop about 200 yards behind the shelter proper. As you approach, it is framed by the vibrant blue New Mexico sky, and it resembles a barn crossed with some sort of warehouse, sided with gray stucco. When you walk into the center, you first notice the large open space that takes up most of the building. It looks like it should generate a considerable echo, but noise-dampening pads with a bird's nest texture line the walls. There are large windows that let in plenty of natural light. This is a unique building constructed from the ground up with fearful dogs in mind. The kennels are all about providing animals with choice. They have places to hide if they are feeling shy. They have an indoor and outdoor space, and their outdoor kennels open into an even larger enclosure to make it easier to move dogs in and out of their spaces without stressing them out. In short, this is the best possible canine behavior rehabilitation center that could be built on a nonprofit budget. 
but the facility is far secondary to the work that's done inside it. Uh, we've had a behavior program for um, almost about four years. Um, recently, when I started about two and a half years, um, we revamped a lot of um, what we were doing. Um, right before I started, the, the that whole changing or shifting in the program itself was due to play groups. So um, Amy Sadler came out to the Santa Fe Animal Shelter and taught our behavior team how to do play groups for all of our shelter dogs. That's Hannah Padilla, our Director of Behavior and Training. If you listened to the podcast before, she is not new to you. Um, I believe our program is essential, really, for the animals' well-being here. We um, exercise them, spend time with them, um, train them, assess them, so that we can find them you know, uh, forever homes. Um, but I, I really think, actually, I had this question asked to me the other day, um, you know, how many people are certified on your team? I only have one certified trainer on our staff. So it's not, it really is our department functions to support and help these animals while they are in our care. It is not easy work. Not that anyone thinks it possibly could be. My team is exercising them. So we, we you know, see a dog that has a limp or we put them in playgroup and they're not moving, they're lethargic. So we put in a vet check because that's not normal behavior. Um, and I think all of this you know, work, regardless if we're certified trainers or not, is life-saving because the amount of time that the animal has to spend in a kennel is is difficult. And so when we go in and we walk them, we um, take them outside, get them fresh air, let them play with other dogs, let them sit in a dog pool full of water. Um, that's really important. And it, and it helps them mentally be able to cope with this environment. I asked Hannah how many people she has at her disposal to do all this work. So um, we have eight employees um, in that work in the behavior department, and um, they are probably the hardest working <laughs> uh, employees here at the shelter. And, and I know every director would probably say that about their employees, but these guys are walking miles upon miles every single day, going into kennels with dogs that um, make you nervous. The physical stress is exhausting. Many behavior team members told me they regularly exceed five miles walking every day during work hours. Um, but that's our directive, is we have to get every single dog out of their kennel. Um, these guys... Oh, sorry. This was a common occurrence throughout the interview. Hannah is always on call, and there's always somebody trying to get in touch with her for any number of reasons. In the ideal world, which we are short-staffed right now... Um, Six employees are here working every single day. Um, we are down two people. So uh, like yesterday, I only had four staff members here and they didn't take a lunch until 4.30. Okay. But ideally six, um, six staff members a day, eight hours a day. Uh, so that's 48 labor hours a day. Mm -hmm. And how many dogs are they handling total, roughly, generally? Roughly between 300 and 350 a day. 300 to 350 dogs across six people, eight hours, 48 hours. Yes. So that just get, okay, gives you a volume of the amount of people or volume of the amount of work there is. Even if we take that minimum number, 300 dogs, 
That's nine and a half minutes spent per animal every day to take them out to play group, supervise them, and assess them. So in an ideal world, our schedule would go, you know, we would have six employees come in at eight o'clock in the morning. They would um, go down to adoptions to do playgroups for about two and a half hours. Then they would move over to admissions and do playgroups and walks for about two and a half hours. So roughly they would take lunch around one o'clock. They would come back at 1.30 and then start on assessments and behavior training and more playgroups in the afternoon, roughly putting in notes between 4.30 and 5.30 and, and then leaving at 5.30. So it's a long nine hour day. Um, but it sounds like there's a lot of wrenches that get thrown no, into the works. That's an ideal world and that never happens. <laughs> so like yesterday, they, I had three staff members, or I had only four staff members here and it took three staff members an hour and a half to just deal with one dog. Um, he had come in on rabies quarantine about 10 days ago and um, uh, unfortunately was um, pulled in the process. When Hannah says a dog was pulled, she's referring to a catch pole. You've probably seen these on TV. They're rigid poles with a loop at the end. They are used for dogs that are unpredictable to keep distance between the handler and the animal. To get into the kennel, and so now my staff come in, his 10-day rabies quarantine is up, and we're standing there with leashes, and he was not having it. So it took three staff members, crates, cars, leashes, and an hour and a half time to get him moved up to the rehab center, where today we got to do a playgroup with him inside our building um, because we got him out of the kennel. So every day he's trusting us a little bit more, but um, that never happens. We have vet techs call us that need, they need help with a dog in intake. We have... Um, Vets call us and, and ask help handling a dog that's in adoptions that needs to get looked at. Um, we have uh, clients, all of our dogs in adoptions have behavior consultations on them. So we have clients coming in to adopt animals and we get called over there to explain behavior we've seen in the shelter and or history that we have on an animal. So um, that would be the ideal schedule, but that just never happens. So it's usually, I, I the group kind of laughs about it. Our, their job is like a tornado. You, you see the tornadoes coming and you just don't know what's going to happen that day. It's, it's crazy. I asked Hannah about the process of evaluating dogs to determine what kind of treatment they need. We're kind of at this impasse with our assessment process because right now, nationally, um, the ASPCA and, through, and tons of other organizations are doing research basically stating that our, our formal assessments where you take an animal into a room for 20 minutes and you poke and prod them is going to be true behavior seen in the adopter's home. And unfortunately, all of their research is saying that is not the case at all. Um, behavior seen in the shelter is not what is seen in the home and vice versa. Um, and so a lot of shelters, they're, they're, they're asking a lot of shelters to not give the formal assessment um, as much weight or, or um, kind of, uh, what do I want to say, value mm -hmm. in the sheltering kind of system anymore. Because again, it's a snapshot in time versus, you know, Lenny, who's been here for over a year. We, we want to kind of shift our assessment period. Instead of getting 20 minutes of behavior, we're gonna accumulate their previous history, 
we're going to accumulate all of their shelter history, um, you know, their kennel presentation, how they do with strangers, how they do in playgroup, how they do with handling with our vet techs and our medical staff, um, and accumulate that kind of assessment in a package for the adopter. So every animal will have a behavior consultation stating that this is all the behavior we've seen here at the shelter. Um, this is the behavior that we have from reported maybe foster home or previous owner or anything like that. And also kind of an opportunity to hit and talk to every single adopter to normalize the animal behavior. Finally, I asked Hannah how having the rehab center helped her and her team accomplish their goals. Um, this facility has helped us reach and um, progress and work with so many different dogs and their personalities and their needs um, that we wouldn't have been able to do without it. Um, you know, there are dogs that are scared of people, scared of handling, um, scared of motion and movement from a person. Maybe they had a, a bad background with a person or no experience with a person, but they're scared of us. And up here um, with our kennels, the way that they're designed to give the dog choice it's always in the dog's favor to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And so they get to kind of um, close that gap and, and conquer their fear and gain confidence. And we don't have to push them. We don't have to, you know, lock them in this little box and go into their space and crowd them and push them too fast. Um, we, we have a great, because of our kennels, our indoor outdoor, we have dogs that were shut down inside because they didn't like being inside a building and maybe they never have. Um, and now they, they sunbathe outside, they approach us, they're affiliative. When she says affiliative, she means an animal that wants to be around people. You know, we see totally different behavior. We have dogs who um, might be afraid of strangers or noises. We bring them into an office and during the day when people are entering their notes, eating their lunches and the dog, you just see the dog calm down. Mm -hmm. You see just a total change. Um, we have dogs that are maybe like really reactive in the kennels. So when another dog walks by and because of the way our setup is, we can put them in a high, high traffic kennel and somebody can stand there and every dog that passes by, if they're quiet, they can get a, a click and they get a treat. So we actually get to counter condition that behavior and change that behavior. Um, this building has been so useful in so many different ways, but I think the, the um, kind of removal from the, the adoption floor is very busy. Lots of people, lots of eyes staring at you. You're in this box, you have no choice. Up here, you see more a relaxed, um, normal behavior from the animal. You know, it it's shy at first, so it approaches you slowly and, and you know, then warms up to you and crawls into your lap. And um, it's been able to really showcase some animals that, you know, Going back to the previous question about the assessment, we see one snapshot of behavior down in admissions. We get this building allows us to get to see a whole bunch of different behaviors and snapshots of these behaviors, which is great. Roddy's rehab is saving lives that simply would not be saved if we did not have this space. Just the ability to place fearful dogs in a quiet environment is life-saving. And the work the team does has helped many dogs overcome their fear of people. If this is the kind of thing that matters to you, then your help is truly needed. Volunteering helps immensely. It frees up some staff for more severe cases and gives supplemental exposure to animals that just need socializing. But donating is the most helpful strategy. As Hannah's statements show, this is highly specialized work that requires weeks of training. 
with animal abuse so rarely prosecuted and shelters already overrun with readily adoptable animals. Only community members and donors can give us the final push we need. Thank you so much, podcast patrons. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the High Desert Podcast. If you have any questions, please submit them to podcast at sfhumanesociety.org. That's spelled P-A-W-E-D-C-A-S-T at sfhumanesociety.org. And remember to donate on our website, sfhumanesociety.org, or on our Patreon page. Only you can help us keep these animals and this show alive.